Danes, Norse, all were from the Northlands in the eyes of her people. To their fright-frozen minds, Hakan was another of the dreaded Norse, sweeping over the land like a plague and leaving little in the wake. But summer had yielded a different crop for her. Not all Norse were vicious raiders, out for death and plunder. That's right, dear listeners. It's time to take it back to the heyday of the Bodice River. This episode, we're talking Vikings. Dun, dun, dun! Hey there, romance nerds. Welcome back to another episode of Raging Romantics. I'm Jen. I'm Jackie. And this podcast is brought to you by Northern Onondaga Public Library. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about all things related to Romance Landia. With that being said, please be aware that sometimes our material may be a little too sensitive for younger listeners. If you need to wait until they go to bed, we'll still be here for you. So without further ado, are you ready, Jen? Oh, I'm ready, Jackie. All right. Let's rage! Hey, Jackie. Yes. How did Vikings send secret messages? (laughs) How? Norse code. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good one. That was a great one. As usual, Jen, I bow to your vastly superior joke telling ability. As you should. I bow. Bow to the queen. (laughs) You need a little crown. Maybe I'll get you a crown for Nyla that says joke queen. Oh, God. Okay, maybe not. (laughs) Anyways, before we dive headlong into the icy waters of Scandinavia and the land of shirtless men, just a reminder that we now have a book list available for you all lovely romance nerds thanks to our listener Lindsay. hey Lindsay, we sat down and compiled a beautiful spreadsheet of every single book every single one we have ever mentioned and or talked about here on the podcast i really regret mentioning so many books <laughs> there are so many books i was scrolling through and i was like and it just keeps we go- just don't keep going up. it keeps going <laughs> It's the blessing and curse of being a librarian. Seriously. <laughs> so the link will be available in the show notes for you and will be updated for every episode. Hyperlinks are included that will help you find the best version for you to access. And if you notice we put anything in wrong, please don't hesitate to let us know at ragingromantics at nopal.org. Woo! And just a little heads up before we dive into this, Jen and I, we've had some chit-chats and we've decided we're going to mix things up. We're going to keep it funky fresh for you guys. Oh, God. I'll never say funky fresh again, I Please promise. <laughs> um, typically, as you guys know, we've done all of our episodes around monthly themes, right? And between listener feedback and between Jen and I trying to figure out what the heck we're going to do for an entire month, we're going to restructure how we do the podcast. Don't worry, you're still going to get two full episodes every month and at least two minisodes every month. Um, But we're going to be going episode by episode for the most part. We might have longer series as a whole, so like part one, part two, part three. For instance, right now we're going to be focusing on (gasps) Lost lost Genres. So this episode is Lost Genre Part 1, The Mm. Vikings. Where did they go? Did they get lost pillaging? Did they sail over the edge of the world? (laughs) (laughs) No, because the earth is round. Good, at least you believe that one. Of course. Maybe they went through an interdimensional portal with the Sasquatch. I swear they did not mean Sasquatch. There's no Sasquatch. Could somebody write that book? No. No, there's no Sasquatch Viking. They're not friends. This isn't some kind of historical Star Wars where Sasquatch is the Chewbacca guy. Oh my God, that makes total sense. Okay. Like we were saying, the next three episodes are going to be focusing on lost genres of romance books that were kind of like, what happened to these we people? Loved them. What's going on? What happened to Vikings and what happened to two more special ones that you'll see as we go about our podcast. Yeah. 
Um, and then we're just going to kind of go go with the flow. If you guys have anything mm-hmm. you would like to recommend us to do, anything you really want us to talk about, email us, ragingromantics at noble.org. And we will definitely do it. Yeah. All right. Because we are really curious and we love to learn. All right. But let's continue into this episode. In case the intro didn't clue you in, this is a Jackie episode, which means all y'all are getting a history lecture. And it's about one of my favorite time periods in sociopolitical groups. The Vikings. Woo! Jen's so excited. I am. I can't (laughs) wait. I just wish I had like more Viking no like knowledge so i can make fun of you better oh it's okay i don't know what they do like pirates sure highlanders okay but i don't what wh- should i go joke about pillaging your farm not exactly maybe <laughs> that sounds like a very bad innuendo no 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 innuendos we are very innocent oh so pure i do need to issue a general content warning for this episode on that note later on we're going to be talking about um some things related to dubcon and neo-nazis and that is an interesting connection right there just saying yeah wow yeah whoa um i will as always put specific time stamps in the show notes for you so if those are things you don't want to hear about totally chill i understand um the timestamps are there and you can just fast forward and I will make sure to say content warning before we start talking about that stuff. So, and I'm also going to warn you because I'm really going to especially nerd out even harder than I already do for a history episode because my first master's and honestly my love of history focuses heavily on the time period that directly centered around Viking and Scandinavian influence on European and especially English and Scottish Scottish culture. So just be forewarned. Vikings are some of my babies and the fact that so many of the romances I grew up with had Viking viking characters and heroes it was absolute heaven or should i say valhalla (laughs) which means hall of the gods fun fact um so before we get begin jen do you have any thoughts or predictions for this episode i guess i can't say thoughts or predictions because like i said i know a little bit about vikings but it's it's clearly not to the realm of of jackie's knowledge in terms of romance i'm really curious about where vikings have gone so I, I don't have this love of Vikings the way Jackie does. I did not study this in school. <laughs> but I did grow up reading Sandra Hill and Connie Mason and a lot of these other really famous Viking authors. And it kind of disappeared 10 years ago. Yeah. So I don't I don't know. I'm really kind of curious if we can investigate that a little bit. And oh, we will. Figure out uh, where they went. You know, um, I feel like they kind of stopped being popular when Fifty Shades and Paranormal took over. Hmm. That is going to be my, my kind of first instinct okay. before you start talking. So I'm curious, do you think this is a natural progression of interests or did we leave them behind for some reason? That is an excellent tipping off point. Thank you, Jen. Um, to begin, we're just going to we're going to dive right in, right into the history. Archaeology side is coming out hard right now. Um, caveat, I will be using the term Vikings throughout this entire episode to refer to the group of peoples that are predominantly referred to and featured in quote unquote Viking narratives. In general, though, the term Viking is too conflated to really be used as as a historically accurate term. Here's some etymology coming at you. The word Viking is generally thought to be a declension of the 12th century CE Old Norse word Vikingar, typically meaning pirate or raider. Vikingar, in turn, generally is thought to have declined from an earlier Scandinavian or Old Norse word, Old Scandinavian or Old Norse word, contemporary to the Vikings themselves. Most likely it was Vik, which means creek, as in the people who sailed up creeks to go on raids. Vikinger is also used at some points in primary resources as a verb, meaning to go a Viking, which I really like that, go a Viking, Mm -hmm. or to go on raids. 
And also just a reminder that the term CE refers to current era and is used in place of AD by the historical and archaeological communities. So when I say, for instance, 12th century CE, I'm referring to the period between 1100 and 1199 in the current era. Anyway, the term Vikinger wasn't largely used until the 12th century, when Viking culture as we understand it today was already on the decline. In fact, the word Viking is known to us mostly thanks to its use in primary sources, such as sagas, epics, poems, songs, and spoken verse that were used to relate histories, pseudo-histories, mythological deeds, acts, and legends in the early medieval period, aka Beowulf. The term Viking grew into its own mythological proportion during this time period. And as much as we might understand the term indigenous American today, so too can we understand the term Viking. It is a term used to talk in general about a larger group of people from different cultural, political, and socioeconomic backgrounds who lived contemporaneously. In short, Viking is both a noun and a verb and not an ethnic identity as it is so often presumed to be in today's media. However, to completely disregard everything I just said, most people today will easily identify what I mean when I say Viking, and will be able to recognize what it means to have a character in a book who is identified as a Viking. It is also not meant as a harmful term, as Viking mostly refers to long-dead people, um, or, you know, the TV show, but for people, long-dead people. So for purposes of this episode, I will use the term Viking to refer to this larger, larger cultural collection of people. That's actually kind of interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize there were so many kind of facets to just Viking. I just yeah. had one image in my head, and honestly, I did not really think about it. And I guess that makes sense. There's no, like, Vike land out there. No. So, yeah, it makes sense. It's a collection of people. So thinking about that, who were these people, and then when did they thrive? I'm so glad you asked. And I'm so glad your eyes haven't glazed over yet. Thank it's you. page two I of your notes. <laughs> oh, yeah, time. that is true. Um, and the groups we refer to now as the Vikings lived in Northern Europe, specifically as groups of Scandinavian people whose identities were identifiable. Identities identifiable, sorry. I couldn't mm-hmm. think of another way to say that. As Norsemen, Danes. Swedes, as well as some Finnish, Estonian, and Sami peoples. And Sami peoples were um, an indigenous group of people in kind of the area that's between Norway and Sweden, like that little peninsula, and Russia, if you're looking at a map. That was where they predominantly lived. They were Northern European. Mm -hmm. They have a really cool um, culture, too, if you guys want to look into that. Um, Vikings, those we identify as Vikings, lived primarily, like I said, in Northern Europe, though at the height of the Viking Age, they would stretch their roots as far west as the shores of North America and as far east as the Silk Road and China. Please understand that whatever information I convey here today is only the tippity-dippity-top of the ginormous iceberg of research into these peoples and this time period. For more information, I highly recommend a few books, namely River Kings and The Viking Wars, which will be linked in the show notes and on our spreadsheet, as well as academic articles you can find using your library resources. We have a lot of those. (laughs) We do. (laughs) For once, we actually have a plethora of information we can delve into when it comes to source material for this episode. It was honestly a miracle I typed in that, like, Vikings romance novels and all this sort of stuff popped up. Um, And I actually had a hard time narrowing it down because I could very very easily go into a rabbit hole of sword burials and the appearance of Vikings in the archaeological landscape of Highland Scotland, but I've limited myself. Okay, if anyone ever wants to talk Vikings, just shout out and we can fall down the lovely rabbit hole together. But anyways, onwards. The Vikings and Scandinavian people were traditionally a collection of pagan practitioners who worshipped a variety of deities, most of which centered around Scandinavian mythology and a polytheistic pantheon. That's polytheistic multiple gods. 
We'll talk about it in a minute, but a large identifier of the Vikings was their religious clash with those they encountered who practiced Christianity. And a large mark of the decline of the Viking period was the Scandinavian conversion to Christianity and their slow assimilation and self-identification into Western Christian culture. Pre-conversion, Viking culture flourished between the late 8th century through the 11th century CE, roughly. By the 13th century, the Vikings were largely subsumed by high medieval groups and nations in Europe, with the start of recognizable medieval dynasties such as the Normans in England and the Carolingians in the Holy Roman Empire. The first noted raid by people who would come to be identified as Vikings was in 793 CE at the monastic isle of Lindisfarne, a small island off the northeastern coast of England. Lindisfarne was the home to a Christian monastery known for its scriptorium and the illustrated manuscripts it produced there. On June 8th, hey, we just passed the anniversary, 793, a ship full of warriors landed on the shores of the small island and proceeded to pillage, kill, capture, enslave, and raid the monastery. To the horror of the monks on the island and to the terror of the Anglo-Saxon people who lived in what is today England, these raiders gave no quarter to the monks and religious devotees on the island, going so far, in the Christians' minds, as to even desecrate the holy altar. This would be a running theme in those early raids, in confrontations between raider and raided, with the local people being terrified of the level of violence observed within these foreign people and within their attacks. And it all started when one raiding ship landed, most likely accidentally, on the shores of a tiny island and started the Viking Age. Wow. Yeah. Just one ship of jerks. And probably it was like no more than 30 warriors. <laughs> yeah. One one tiny domino fell and it started this whole period. I love history, man. Okay. The largest period of raiding occurred during the mid-9th through 10th centuries CE in what are today the British Isles, stretching eventually through Europe and into the Mediterranean and beyond. Exploration and settlement really took hold during the 10th and 11th centuries, with centers of Scandinavian rule being established in places like the British Isles, Iceland, Greenland, Scotland, and parts of Europe. For instance, the Dane law flourished in what is today central England between 877 and 942, and the Duchy of Normandy was established in 911. And fun fact, the Duchy of Normandy, Normandy in France, would give rise to William the Conqueror, who, 100 years later, would take over England in 1066. So, you know, the Vikings, they're just influence all over the place. During this period, tensions flared between the pagan settlers and the largely Christian natives. Small skirmishes and altercations like the original raid at Lindisfarne turned into all-out warfare and massacres, a lot of times with the Scandinavians actually being the ones who were slaughtered and their settlements destroyed. And to bring it all back to Romancelandia, it is this dichotomy, this tension, that would come to serve as the primary source of anxiety for the plots of modern romance novels. The pagan Viking wooing the demure Christian woman. And don't worry, we'll unpack that here in a little bit. Back to the Viking period. The Viking period largely came to a close during the 11th century. Norway and Sweden had no more physical like manpower force for external adventure. Their people were already exhausted by centuries of exploration and invasion, and Denmark was a large centralized power, able to absorb the more unruly elements of its population into its own royal armies. Olaf II Haraldsson of Norway was actually or was practically the last Viking chief in the old tradition. But even he converted to Christianity and monarchy when he was crowned king of Norway in 1015. Overall, the Vikings didn't just disappear. Instead, they adapted and evolved and were absorbed by other growing sociopolitical powers. Indeed, remnants of their culture and beliefs persisted throughout other European, British, and Eastern civilizations. What's truly amazing in my mind is that we know so much about them from various primary sources like the sagas. 
and the archaeological record is astounding. The more we find, of course, the more we know, and recent discoveries in the archaeological and historical communities have shifted our perceptions of Vikings to a whole new realm. Originally, the persistent idea of raider or pirate or barbarian really ruled how Vikings were viewed and portrayed in popular media. And that's where we get to start talking about romance books. Jen, have I lost you yet with this history lesson? No, I'm feeling good. Okay, good. I'm feeling good. good. I am wondering, listening yeah. to you talk, when you talk about all of these, all this evidence that is left mm. behind for us to, to know about Vikings, are these sources from the Vikings themselves or are they evidence and primary documents and things from the people they conquered? Yes, I'm and just like yes. wondering what side. Yeah, so we have mm-hmm. both sides, which oh, is something that's, that's really amazing mm-hmm. because, you know, so often we have that history is from the conqueror right. sort of thing, right? Vikings themselves were conquerors mm-hmm. and so were the Anglo-Saxons and all these other peoples that they were fighting against. And... <clears throat> the sagas that I mentioned that we have as the largest primary resource for even where the term Viking comes from did mm-hmm. come from a little later with the 12th century. So that would be post um, when the Dane law was out of England and when they had lost a lot of their centuries of power and had been assimilated. But we still have a lot of these sagas and a lot of mm-hmm. these um, mythological traditions from the people themselves. It sounds like to me they were very literary. Yeah. And I, I wonder if that's part of the reason why we have so much documentation did they, were they a lot of literate people? Did they they obviously love stories if they're sagas? What's and interesting? If these have been passed on, mostly no. Okay. Not until we get these sagas, mm. starting mostly in the 12th century, mm. and a lot of that is having to deal with them being assimilated into these other cultures that did have larger histories of writing, like the Anglo-Saxons, like Lindisfarne. Um, so the Anglo-Saxons were the people in England, mm-hmm. and I'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, but these were largely writing cultures, and when the Vikings slowly started like assimilating into them, they didn't necessarily have a written culture beyond runes of their own. Okay. And runes were something largely used for religious purposes and religious practices. So when they when you look at the evidence from the Vikings and from the people they conquered, mm-hmm. are they kind? Do they kind of meet in the middle at all? Do they kind of agree on what the Vikings were or weren't? It's one of those you have to read between the lines, mm-hmm. um, because the sagas that we get are after the fact they are after the writing period has really already ended but the contemporaneous things that we get are from the side of the victims mm-hmm. so like Lindisfarne we have all of these things from other monastic sites and other church sites that are writing of oh my god these vikings did you hear what happened they were mm-hmm. terrible people but then after the fact you do get some some other historians of the day so like historians during the time period who are writing like I have talked to these men and these men have said this and then you look at some archaeological records and you'll see so and so who Mm -hmm. fought at this battle and did these things and you can kind of like match up the different points yeah put Mm -hmm. the puzzle together okay and so you kind of get a very complete picture during this time period which is something that's really exciting that is really cool yeah okay and sword burials if you're ever interested Mm -hmm. are some of the coolest things ever because they full-on like buried swords like people Mm -hmm. yeah i just have always been curious about that because i feel like growing up i'd heard so many jokes about vikings being like these savages and these rapists and these pillagers and then now that I'm a little bit older, I keep seeing all of this like, no, 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 the Vikings were really great. They had all of these progressive, amazing things, and they were actually really sweet and gentle. And blah, okay, blah. And they I'm were sure not sweet and gentle. I'm sure somewhere like, and I've always wondered if it's closer to the middle of those yes. two extremes. Yeah. And that's so 
when you and I were growing up, Jen, we are millennials, by the way, yeah. listeners. When Sorry. we were growing up, the archaeological record was nowhere near as complete as it is today. Oh, it's interesting that this is kind of recent. Yeah, it is mm. probably within the last 20 years or so. Of course, there's been Viking archaeological records and historical records for hundreds of years now. Like People have always been fascinated, especially in England, with this mm-hmm. history because it's been so prevalent in the history. Um, but... In more recent years, especially as scholars with feminist studies, Mm. feminist study backgrounds and um, less toxic of a belief in certain things, let's say. It's very diplomatic. Thank you. Um, They have really started to flip the switch on how we understand Viking, how we understand Viking culture. And I do actually have to give props to the Vikings TV show because I think that they did a pretty good job. There are, of course, some things are dramatized and a lot of this stuff is hollywood um and made to be sexy but they did a really good job of like portraying a lot of stuff oh, good. okay yeah. well it was on the history channel so i would yeah. hope so history channel yeah and mm-hmm. it's actually taken from a saga oh cool the saga of ragnar cool yeah good job ragnar yeah mm-hmm. okay are we ready to move on to romance books i have been ready okay what everybody actually cares about right <laughs> Something that's really interesting about Viking romances today is that despite the recent mass media fascination, thanks to some very attractive people on TV, we don't see many Vikings in romance novels that are currently published. It just seems like most of the historicals are Regency. Yeah. I've seen a couple now for the Gilded Age, but even that is... Few and far between. Yeah, it's really Regency is kind of a powerhouse. And like maybe some Victorian... Yeah, babe, it's like a sprinkle. You know, maybe in like the steampunk worlds. Yeah. Maybe that's about it. But no, it just seems like we'd had so much kind of diversity of genre and growing up, and now it is like dukes and balls, and mm-hmm. I'm not complaining about that. Yeah, we hey, remember we love for it. our episode, we'd love it. But it is kind of curious that it's it's faded the last couple of years. Yeah. So are they off pillaging? <laughs> As we talk for the next couple of minutes, Jen, I'm going to ask you to ponder on just that. Why do you think we don't see as many, if any, Viking mm-hmm. romance novels in Romance Landia in the year 2022? Okay. All right, so while you think on that and let that stew in the back of your brain, let's take a brief path down the history of romance books. It is a Jackie episode. You're going to get multiple history lessons. Sorry, not sorry. In case you haven't, go back and listen to episode number 25 where we recount a more in-depth history of romance books in general. We had the mics then, so the audio is a good quality, okay? Okay. For now, I will recap briefly by saying that romance novels, or at least the genre heading for a romance novel, first appeared on the scene in 1964. And right from the get-go, historical novels were the most popular ones out there, especially ones that were Westerns, Medieval, Scottish, and, you guessed it, Vikings. Of these most popular subgenres of historical today in 2022, really only Westerns have persisted, and even the then, if you've listened to our cowboy episodes, you know that they have lost a lot of traction in traditional publishing. As Jen said, Regency kind of took over. Around the mid-20th century, Vikings were popular outside of romance. The draw of adventure and, quite frankly, the toxic perception of the manly man warrior were obviously super popular in other areas of literature, like in the rise of comics. In 1937, Prince Valiant was created by artist and author Hal Foster. In this comic, the Viking Valiant is in exile from a northern kingdom, and he finds refuge in King Arthur's court, and he goes on a fantastic series of voyages. The perception of barbarian raider versus civilized Christian westerner was exceedingly evident in these comics, with Valiant often portrayed as struggling against his, quote, baser instincts and how he was raised. Mm. Oof. Mm. 
kind of gross. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, was the, that was the theme. Post-World War II, we again saw a rise in adventure, adventure literature, which was quickly translated back into comics again with Marvel in Thor's debut in 1962. Vikings remained popular in these adventure narratives, and they became typified by Michael Crichton's Eaters of the Dead, which was published in 1976. And side note, if you haven't watched the movie 13th Warrior with Antonio Banderas, you are missing out. It was inspired by Michael Crichton's book, and I love that book and that movie so much. They are both really good. They're not historically accurate at all, but they're really good. In 1972, Jen's favorite book Uh, ever was published. The Flame and the Flower by <sighs> Kathleen Woodowis. And listen, we know it's loved, but not by us. Sorry. <laughs> so, I can't do it. Every book a reader. <laughs> not, I'm not that reader for this one. <laughs> if you haven't heard us rant about this before, it was definitely a novel of its time. The plot is centered around a love story. Very loose love story there. In quotations. <laughs> that very heavily features dubcon and noncon. Um, we won't get into it in this episode. <laughs> it also shows a whole new type of adventure plot centered around what we can argue was kind of desirous in romance novels at the time. It was like the adventure novel that was popular but written for mm-hmm. women or like women audiences. There's nonstop movement of the hero and heroine. There's tension. There's drama. There's a downtrodden heroine who comes back against any and all circumstances. And most importantly, arguably, it's the first bodice ripper. Mm-hmm. People have said that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Jen, do you want to explain to the audience what a bodice ripper is for the 30th time? Yes. So (laughs) if you have missed any of these other explanations, a bodice ripper is a historical or gothic romance where the heroine is raped until she isn't, basically. So usually this was written in eras where an unwed heroine could not have any kind of sexual desire or she would be seen as like a harlot as the politest word I can think of. Good job. Good job. (laughs) Right. So the author would kind of get around that by the hero, the hero raping the heroine. Yeah. Because then you could have like these plots like in Flame and the Flower where she gets pregnant unwed because he raped her assuming Mm. she was a prostitute. Mm -hmm. And then in some of the books, he would rape her until, you know, she liked it, which I, I want to go shower saying that. <laughs> or she would suddenly be cool with it after they got married. Some books just non-consent the whole way. Yeah. And again, it was like violent. It was forced. It was very much this woman cannot be anything but a pure unsullen rose. So the hero is going to take care of that yeah and jen and i are cringing saying i don't like saying any of that it was a different time today if you want that kind of a thing it's just a dark romance and you embrace it fully as you are get you know what you're going into yeah this time you couldn't do that the heroine could not look like this it would have been way worse than the hero raping her which again is just like which is bad (laughs) but yeah it was it it was the novel of its time again yeah that's time yeah and it's not the time anymore yeah and of course we all know the bodice ripper cover it's the woman swimming in the hero's arms to be fair we still do that like this this oh yeah this clinch yeah Mm -hmm. the clinch clinch thank you um fabio was known for his bodice Mm -hmm. ripper covers but my dear listener the historical bodice ripper and especially the viking stepped onto the romance scene together they went hand in hand they really did (laughs) or maybe like girl over shoulder (laughs) hair in hand dragging back to the cave oh no (laughs) hair flowing in the breeze from the hero (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. You know me. I love to try to look back and find the first of something. And I really struggled with this one. The earliest Viking romance I can find that is explicitly described and labeled as both Viking and romance together is Fires of Winter by Joanna Lindsay, published in 1980. I hate this book. <laughs> To be fair, I can see Johanna Lindsay being the first one, yeah. but 1980 feels too right? late for me. I, I feel was like looking, there must have been something floating out, like really, because Vikings feel so popular. I was looking throughout all of the 70s because hmm. I was like, at least in the 70s, because 72 yeah. to 80, I'm like, that makes sense for this time period. But the closest I got was medieval. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'm going to say maybe it is like. They grew that out of medieval, group. maybe. Yeah, maybe people got tired of knights and yeah. nuns and or stuff. Or like one person wrote something with a barbarian. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was that was a term that was used pretty regularly in the 70s was barbarian. Because, mm-hmm. of course, dubcon and noncon yeah. with that barbarian archetype is and not like not, Ice Planet Barbarians Yeah, today. it's not meant lovingly like Ice Planet no, Barbarians. No, no. Fun fact, the word barbarian comes from um, the Greeks when they mm-hmm. encountered people in Turkey. Of course. They the were Greeks. calling them... Um, men who loved sheep in a specific God. way and they were calling them barbars barbarians barbars because baba like a, like a sheep if that's what gets us fired i'm gonna be so mad at you <laughs> and to be fair i think i've told i told mandy that fact like the first time i met her so oh, okay good she's fine with me. <laughs> yeah anyway so fires of winter <laughs> it sucked i'm not gonna that's give a bad. synopsis because just check the content warnings did you hate it when you first read it or did you hate it when you reread it as an adult i hate it when i reread it Mm. i really did and as again baby jackie reading it she was reading bodice rippers and Mm -hmm. she was reading all these with dubcon and noncon and like just going into it and being like oh vikings yeah historical and now so content warning here major content warning within the first five pages it's not even a Viking that comes into town. Like this man comes into town. He's described as dirty and unwashed and not wholly attractive. And he runs into this 16 year old girl. Oh God. Rapes the 16 year old is caught raping her. And then they are forced to marry. The 16 year old is slut shamed because she was not a virgin when she was raped. And she's okay with the marriage within the first five pages. And the person in the books who was like, well, you have to get married, was the heroine. I didn't think you could get much worse than Flame in the Flower, but thank you, Johanna Lindsay. R.I.P. still, but wow. Yeah, it was not. Obviously, for those reasons, this episode is labeled as explicit, but... That's like, hilarious, though, that she's writing that the same era Nora Roberts is going to write her first book. Yeah. Like, this isn't very long ago. It's just, like, I would love a psychologist to take a look into these books and, like, do a deep read and, mm-hmm. like, psychology of this whole, like, subgenre and just why what's going on what happened Mm -hmm. why was this i mean we read dark romances sure but why Mm -hmm. (laughs) i need to know i don't want to i wonder if part of it was like a lesson not a lesson maybe i shouldn't say it that way but warning maybe a warning to women to be like okay you can't be like this but you can be like this i don't like that i don't like it either but i'm just it's weird that this stuff was in the mainstream to me yeah Maybe mainstream was different back then. Well, Maybe we were, have a very yeah. different idea of what mainstream was in, you know, 2022. Yeah. May, I'm sure these books were still, like, hidden under pillows and not oh, really yeah. discussed in, in public the way in we are now. Or... But it's still just weird to me that, like, a mainstream publisher yeah. would be, like, cool this. And Joanna Lindsay is a hu- was a huge author. Mm-hmm. Again, rest yeah, in peace. R- right until she died, she was still writing. Yeah. And she's popular in historic mm-hmm. romance circles. She was one of the last ones to really write cowboys, but... I just I don't understand it also the series 
Jen and I were laughing about this. The series is pronounced the Hard Rod family, like Hard Rod. <laughs> and I really hope that that was purposeful. Please be on purpose. <laughs> Johanna Lindsay, we summon you. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it would be that hard to make that joke. No, not at all. Not at all. And it is a series. I don't know if I will ever finish the series now, though. From Joanna Lindsay, moving forward, at least from what I can find, there's like a small trickle of Vikings through Romance Landy in the 80s. Again, not as many as I thought, mm, okay. with more titles mostly by Lindsay. And she's held as the predominant influence in the genre, even into this day. Like, if you Google Viking romance books, her books pop up first on the list of like every single list. There's also Heather Graham, Connie Mason. Connie Mason's a classic, to right. be honest. But again, dubcon. Um, but then the 90s came along, and just like mom jeans and scrunchies, mm-hmm. the Vikings rolled in with a bang. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot. <laughs> there, were. there were a lot of fun ones. Yeah. Bodice rippers featuring rippling pectorals, fur-lined cloaks and pants, and titles like Vikings Ecstasy, mm-hmm. Tender Marauder, and The Outlaw Viking were all over the place. Sandra Hill, Joanna Lindsay, Connie Mason, Shannon Drake, and Catherine Coulter ruled the Viking plotline. Even up into the early 2000s, Vikings stayed predominant on the scene oftentimes blending with paranormal romance to include plot lines like time travel, magic, and shapeshifters. And then the Vikings were, aside from some issues we'll talk about in a little bit, super fun. Yeah. I was obsessed with Sandra with Sandra Hill. I yeah. have so many of the books. Like I haven't been able to get rid of them because I reread them over and over again. Yeah. She just put all of this humor into her books. And her she herself are, is, is hilarious. And all these books are fun, mm-hmm. Dubcon aside. They have swoon-worthy heroes, gorgeous heroines, rivalries between clans, action, adventure, everything a reader could want for, mm-hmm. want, could ask for, really in a romance. They were swashbuckling pirates that wore fur. They carried bows and arrows and longswords. They were breathtaking narratives that really transported you and played into that escapist genre that romance was traditionally known for. I love time travel. Yes. For a nice chunk of time, I was real into time travel. And for whatever reason, I'm sure there's better people who should have been time traveling. It was Vikings that were the time travelers. Yes. Hindsight, I don't know why. I think it has something to do with the mythology, but I don't know enough to talk about with that. It's weird, but it's awesome, too. (laughs) But you know what's really interesting? Yeah. Out of all the subgenres that we talk about, where you and I are like, this date was so important. (laughs) 9-11. 9-11 really had no impact on vikings you know what i think it is i think because they had so many other impacts on mm. different genres it was like a ripple effect and they were already so something that we talk about with 9-11 is the need for the big hero right yeah. vikings already had the big hero yeah they were already that escapist swoon worthy mm-hmm. we'll probably talk about it again with the rest of our historical series here we have going on but I think that they were already big in the scene and because they were already starting to blend in with paranormal, which mm-hmm. really kind of stepped in because of nine yeah. eleven. I think it was just a natural, like a progression. natural progression. Yeah. 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 I could see that. But then around 2009, about to 2012, there's another shift. And unfortunately, Vikings did start to fade into the background. The Harlequin historical line still publishes traditional Vikings today with titles like The Viking Stolen Princess, Kidnapped by the Viking, and I have definitely seen barbarian plot lines in fantasy that were meant to kind of be directly reminiscent of Viking characters. But overall, it's just not something you see anymore. Mm-hmm. Like we've said in multiple episodes, Romance Landia today is mostly dominated by Regency and Scottish, and Scottish is even kind of not as popular. No, Regency's the big one. Yeah. yeah. And you can't even say it's like a Bridgerton effect or... No, because it was before Bridgerton. Yeah, I don't know what it... I mean, we've talked about Regency to death, but yeah. for whatever reason, Regency has just become top It's dog. the stranglehold yeah. of the historical romance. Mm-hmm. At this point, it's... 
on the top of the heap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. We love a Duke. For the most part, it seems like Vikings have been relegated today to the fantasy or paranormal realms. Even in indie, they stay in fantasy. Mm-hmm. For instance, in indie romance, you have the Dokiri Bride series by Denali Day, which features a Viking-esque heroes who ride dragons. We love dragons. Actually, they ride wyverns, technically. Um, traditionally published quasi-romance-esque, we see Milovane's Gathering of Dragons, which is romantasy, romance fantasy, and features a world that feels kind of like Game of Thrones, but... There are no dragons, at least not yet. The series is ongoing. In regular fantasy, Vikings abound, so outside of romance, probably because of the perceived relationship between dragons and Vikings. I really don't know why. There's not that much about dragons in Norse mythology. There's serpents and all this sort of stuff, but not really like dragons. Anyways, but also books that focus really heavily on the gods in Norse mythology have recently become really popular. Mm. You have retellings of the god Loki, like Witch's Heart or Goddess of Nothing at All. Both are amazing and have really good gender inclusivity, by the way. Um, and then you have straight-up fantasy, like H.M. Long's Temple of No God series, which is so good. And the heroine is so awesome. She has a big, long sword, and she just kills gods. It's great. And then you have John Wynn, John Gwynn's Bloodsworn Saga, which kind of looks at Ragnarok through a fantasy lens so let's circle back let's gather ourselves jen after all of that why do you think vikings don't have quite the same sway in romance landia that they did in the 90s and early 2000s i think it's a big thing in general that regency is so big Mm. historicals in general just aren't as popular at least in romance spaces so we've lost like the pirates and the vikings and some of these other medieval kind of things so just in from that i think i could see it fade and then reading over some of the articles you sent me to kind of think about this month, I wonder if the things the Vikings used to symbolize to us we don't need anymore or we hmm. found in new genres. Okay. So I read this one that you sent me that was written in the 2000s. <laughs> so I was not a big fan of it because I felt like the author was being a little pretentious Preachy. and annoying. Yeah. So one of the comments she has is the hot historical depends on the construction of the other according to the contemporary definition of feminine identity. In this regard, Joan Cohn points out that romance satisfies as it feeds. The forbidden desire for male power and unrealistic desire for female love and it satisfies them both in the gorgeous figure of the hero. So I feel like we, this kind of thing we have in so many other genres. This isn't inclusive just to Vikings anymore. This mm-hmm. isn't even inclusive just to like historical warriors anymore. And maybe without that being so significant and individual to the genre maybe it's just something we've left in the past Hmm. yeah that was one thing I was thinking of so it's interesting that you bring up other because that Mm -hmm. is something that I did want to talk about with the traditional plot point that Viking romances tend to have of Christian versus pagan right um so for instance a lot of these plots feature Christian women who are kidnapped etc all that Mm -hmm. they're kidnapped by viking marauders and through dubcon they are swayed into a relationship with these men and so they leave their pious upbringing to fall in love with a quote-unquote heathen Mm -hmm. um and it sounds really bad when i describe it that way so just humor me and allow me to expound upon this for a minute i will relate it back i promise when i say christian i'm not necessarily talking about the same reflection of christianity that we see in amish books say today Mm -hmm. so it's not evangelical no Mm -hmm. no no it's not even like religious necessarily is it more of like a like a culture mm-hmm. kind of exactly thing? Mm-hmm. so 
Christianity in these books is portrayed in how it was, honestly, historically speaking, it's more of a culture and less of a faith if we look at it from a medievalist point of view. Major tangent incoming, bear with me. Mm-hmm. At this time frame in Europe, in the early medieval period, the church, capital C on church here, folks, was largely what European society revolved around, and mostly because it had established itself, the church had established itself as a governing entity. Leaders at this time, pre-1066, pre-Norman invasion of England, were beginning to establish something known as the divine right to kingship. And this is aka the right to rule in the preeminence of their dynasties on the basis of being selected and appointed by God. So too at this time, most countries and states were split into multiple smaller kingdoms, minus the Franks and later the Carolingians, they're their own entity in Europe. And these kingdoms were all separately ruled by different dynasties or principalities. Think of what is today England, Scotland, and Ireland, for example. If you watch the Vikings TV show, you'll know this. By the 9th century, the British Isles were split up into heptarchy, or seven different ruling kingdoms. We had Northumbria, Mercia, East Anglia, Essex, Kent, Sussex, and Wessex. What is today Scotland had no large centralized power at this point in history and was broken up mostly into series of unnamed Pictish territories and um, interspersed with early clan lines. Ireland, likewise, was broken up into a series of clans and kingdoms. Interestingly, it would be the Norse invasion that really pushed Ireland, England, and eventually Scotland to merge together into a united force. These native people of these islands, divided though they were by clans and kingdoms, drew together to create treaties and try to push out these foreign marauders, these others, and their Christianity Christianity also became a rallying point of us against them, Christian against pagan, Anglo-Saxon, Irish against Norse. Christianity and the capital C church was something that divided the, they would say, civilized from the heathen and that heathen. And that was really the mindset at that time. So much of Irish, Scottish and English history and yes, European history was rooted around the activities of the church, of the religious practices and the beliefs and the sanctity of the Christian religion. So to be confronted by these pagan invaders created an atmosphere of kinship and unity amongst Christian populations. They weren't all holding hands and singing kumbaya. There was a lot of like inter-warfare and conquest amongst, amongst Christian kingdoms. But for the most part, they really viewed the Vikings as a force to be pushed out. They were very xenophobic. And that would have been my PhD thesis. Thinking about that... Letting it kind of go in my head. I feel like the romance I'm most attracted to and the romance I read, when it comes to the other, I feel like today authors are more about sympathizing with them mm. or to give them more nuance or to give them more that's layers. A good point. I wonder if that's the reason why we've kind of left Vikings behind. Interesting. Maybe it, the authors just weren't very good at doing that. That's a really interesting point because. We've talked about this in the past. So much of romance is the beauty and the beast aspect, right? Beauty tames the beast. And you do get some of that in these Viking romance books. Yeah, tame the barbarian. Yeah, for Mm -hmm. the most part, the Viking isn't converting to Christianity. But he is, you know, he washes more than once we get. By the way, Vikings were very clean people. Yeah, they were. And, like, the Christians even were like, these guys smell good. (laughs) And they are stealing our women Mm -hmm. because they smell good. Actual quote from the past. Thinking again about the article, it said something in there that reminded me a lot about the Anabaptist elevator. Uh-huh. So Vikings a lot of times were associated with being very free mm-hmm. and like the sensitive new man and kind of like, a, a, not progressive, but like a different way of living than like these very strict Christian women. Yes. So thinking about that, I wonder if, again, the authors are putting the characters in something like a very strict sec- sect of Christianity and 
uh, very formulated lives. And then they go with this very free Viking and they kind of go up, not the Anabaptist elevator, but maybe like the Norse the Viking Hill. elevator. Yeah. <laughs> the Viking long ship. Something like that. Mast. So I wonder. So yeah, the, the Viking does not need to convert. These are not religious books. No. We're not trying to prophesize no. to the Vikings. Instead, the Viking is trying to save the woman from a more oppressive yeah. life. I wonder if that's some of it too. That's good. One other thing I was thinking about too. Again, the article. I know I'm going back to this article. So proud of you that lot. you read it. Thank I you. I highlighted stuff and wrote notes. Yeah. Thank you. I do have a, took it seriously. One quick, really fun side note that there are some niche books today that mm-hmm. are proselytizing yeah. to Vikings. Oh, okay. So now it is. I guess that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Everything else. Yeah. But one thing that they mention is though the heroine sees in him the perfect embodiment of productive masculinity in the first place, she must gain his love to be protected from him and like get his protection. I would kind of argue with that even in the two thousands when this was written, but thinking about it today, it feels like so much of romance is now flipped around where the man has has to to earn her. her. Yeah. So if we're kind of going, if that's like the foundation of Viking genre, I could see why we're not interested in that anymore. So it might just be we need some fresh authors. No offense. Yeah. Like, I love Sandra Hill. Yeah. Love her to death. But maybe we do just need some new authors to kind of give it like a Regency scrub. That's one of my like major points, too, is I think Vikings could be successful. Like yeah. I said, they're huge they're in fun. fantasy. Yeah. I was obsessed with them for yeah. a long time. And especially with all like the recent obsession with the show Vikings and mm-hmm. then the new season, the, like the new spinoff that just came out and there's all this new archaeological evidence. I think Vikings could be big. They could yeah. be huge. Vikings, especially if we're going to talk about romance wanting to be more feminist and represent like more gender mm-hmm. inclusivity, but the historical Vikings were actually really well known for their, not necessarily equality mm-hmm. of culture, but they had, especially for the time period, their balance between women and men, and they accepted other genders too, mm-hmm. um, was really kind of astounding. I mean, for women that could time get period. divorced, they could own money, yeah, they divorced. could own property, women they had could a lot be of rights. Chiefs. Yeah. Yeah. Shield maidens, mm-hmm. to say the least. Like, there was just a, a burial that was found where this woman who was a warrior for the longest time they thought that she was a man Mm -hmm. because of how she was buried how she was portrayed she wore like her grave there was a lot of manly what had Mm -hmm. been viewed as like manly grave goods and she was just sexed as being a woman Mm -hmm. so she might have identified as a man during the time who knows but yeah who knows on that but like she was a woman Mm -hmm. and her name was a female name so it's so weird to me that we've kind of grouped vikings into like these very sexist gross guys going back to the article the author of the article read a bunch of Viking books and she came to the conclusion that the new Viking of these novels has become a defender of conservative values as long as issues as male authority and the father's function as breadwinner and protector of family and property are not questioned. Yeah. And I'm like, I've read these books too. I did not come away with that sense. No, that, that sentence made me cringe. I was like, wow, toxic yeah. masculinity much. It was so weird that that's how they interpreted it versus how I interpreted it. And yes, we have two totally different viewpoints. I obviously am a fan of romance. I would hope so doing the podcast. Yeah. She did not come off as uh, particularly open to it so it's weird to me that that is kind of the prevailing theme that we have for these books and I'm thinking if she saw that then probably other women have read it that way yeah so maybe again it's just like let's just leave the barbarian in the past let's go to the ice planet (laughs) those are the kind of barbarians we want though let's go to the ice planet Mm -hmm. but that brings me perfectly to my next point thank you Jen you're still riding that segue beautifully um I think 
why they might not be able to make a comeback unless we do some serious work as romance mm-hmm. authors. Historical inaccuracy and cultural appropriation. Okay. I <sighs> Okay, let me Do you want to explain yes. how the cultural appropriation yes. plays in cuz I read that and I'm like mm, Yes. Okay. okay. Mainly because I read an article that I will definitely link in the show notes that talks about like cultural appropriation and how mm-hmm. it can be. Because yes, when we generally think of appropriation today, we think of it as we should, obviously in a negative light, and we tend to think of it with very specific um, cultures. Yeah. Um, and I think too, if you make a profit off it, that's the big yes. problem with it. I guess you could argue you're selling books, you're making a profit yeah. off of that. Yeah. So is this more like cultural appreciation? we don't often think of appropriation of medieval cultures in the modern world especially when it comes to scandinavian or viking culture but unfortunately people have been appropriating this and framing it as appreciation i think Mm -hmm. is the issue but they are going at it with a very harmful and negative light okay for instance trigger warning for the politics here would be very brief neo-nazis Neo-Nazi groups have adopted Viking symbolism, Mm. runes, religious beliefs, and rituals into their own iconography and belief structures. And unfortunately, they do this with a very negative and harmful intent, usually, um, using representations, Viking representations, or what is believed to be Viking representations, of nationalism and gender stereotypes in their own practices of misogyny and racism. I'm really mad I didn't think of that. I read a great book, Sisters of Hate, and now that Ooh. you're saying that, they talk about this a lot, about yeah. how the white nationalist movement has taken this stuff. So sorry. <laughs> that it's point. okay. It's okay. Fair enough. Yeah. And actually, no, I have a friend, too, whose husband has a tattoo of something yeah. like this. And even though this is his heritage, like, he's actually got a background, he's got to kind of be careful with it now because all these other random guys have and that's uh, what I'm, I'm a tattoo person you can't see me yeah. but if you know me I'm covered in <laughs> tattoos and I've always wanted to get some like Norse like runes and tattoos mm. but I don't feel that I can because I am a white woman and to put <laughs> I'm white <laughs> I'm a white girl and to put this on my body I really don't want to be seen as a uh, as, as a neo-nazi yeah as a neo-nazi but also to be kind of appropriate appropriating this culture in a way that could be taken as harmful even though I don't mean it to be that way um and I think that I I read a really good news article that was talking about it was um people who still practice like Norse religions they Mm -hmm. were celebrating the solstice and they were using like traditional practices and they had neo-nazis show up Mm -hmm. and try to be like this is our religion too let's go do bad things. I could see Nazis being a major problem yeah. for the Viking subgenre. And even in World War II, mm. which is why I'm really interested that Viking books got so popular post-World War II in America. Mm-hmm. During World War II, the actual Nazis really used Viking propaganda. See, I've read they took more from India. They did both. Okay. India is where the swastika right. came from. Right, and they took a lot of other things. Like and Hindu, Aryan, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, they also did a lot of, like, Viking mythology oh, and, yeah, like, guess, white okay. nationalism. It's all coming back to me now. Yeah. I shoved this out of my brain because it's so depressing. <laughs> we don't want to think about it. <laughs> um, yeah. But in romance books, to kind of draw it back and get away from the scary part. Thank you. These traditional views about Vikings and Viking culture have often – have also often led to harmful portrayal of Vikings as the quote-unquote noble savage, which we hate that term. Fair enough, because this does kind of feel like the white version of what we do to Native Americans. Yes, yeah. Um, I don't think we have to say how horrible that portrayal is, 
um, the appropriation of these traditional beliefs and the appropriation of Viking culture, a culture that we now understand in a completely different light, even within the last 20 years, like we were talking about earlier, means that the characters portrayed in romance novels have historically fallen into a stereotypical lens that really has little to no actual representation of contemporaneous Scandinavian culture. I guess, though, it's hard to care about it as much when we do the same thing to Amish. And there's a lot of other groups you could argue we do this to that's it's not a problem and somehow yeah. we've either justified it or we've worked it out so it's not an issue. So is there a reason why it's different for Vikings? Is it just because, you know, they're kind of they're pretty much gone. Is that an issue that I I don't know if I have an answer to that. Okay. I just, I just mentioned Yeah. I mean, yeah, because they're dead people. Does it necessarily yeah. matter? Well, and even if they're dead, I mean, we just did a whole, like, neon gods thing. Is that yeah. Was that appropriate in Greek? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm not saying you have to have an answer on where the line is, but... I think it does come down to that line between appropriation and appreciation. Okay. Um, so... So I would, I mean, I would argue Sandra Hill appreciates Vikings. Yeah, you and know? I don't think that these as authors... crazy as she <laughs> wrote books, her books were pretty crazy. Yeah, I don't think that these authors mostly are necessarily going into like portray harmful stereotypes mm-hmm. of Vikings. I think again, they were novels of their time, yeah. and I think that they were portraying stereotypes that they knew would sell at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, I, and I can't see problems with the noble savage and like yeah. the neo like that stuff makes sense to me. That's definitely yeah. things we should go away from. And I think that that is largely why they have faded out of popularity. Mm. Or maybe not largely, but a good reason why. Because, like I said, I read Fires of Winter Now in 2022, having gone through my master's and all this recent research and being like, oh my god, no, stop. What are you doing? (laughs) Okay. And in recent years, there's been a huge pushback just in general about Vikings and Viking understanding Mm. and in museums and all that sort of stuff from historians and archaeologists against these traditional perceptions of Viking culture, especially with recent scientific data from the graves and other archaeological sites shedding light on early medieval Scandinavia. A lot of preconceived notions around gender roles, worship, and sociopolitical structure has really been turned over. And that traditional view of Vikings as raiders and vicious colonizers as a quote-unquote Others, mm-hmm. set apart from that early Western societal model, has largely been overturned. So everything that I was talking about earlier about Vikings being assimilated and, like, centers of power and all that, none of that was necessarily understood to the degree that it has been until, like, probably maybe the last 20 years, Okay, I would say. It is very recent. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong. The real Vikings were not paragons of virtue with hearts of gold. No way, no how. They were indeed sometimes vicious marauders whose culture of warfare and whose economy of wealth led them to raid, plunder, and overall completely change the physical and sociopolitical landscape of the lands they invaded. But they weren't just marauders. Nuance is key to our understanding here, and at the same time these Vikings were raiding and invading, they were also settling, creating, trading, exploring, and innovating. So often, romance novels and historical novels in general will characterize the Vikings as one or the other, good or bad, rapist or paragon. At this, and this really is probably one of the most exceedingly harmful things for the historical record. Like we talked about in Regency, historical novels tend to take on an almost fantastical view of historical events and people. Authors tend to end up writing in space that's like a fan fiction space. It's this unique blend of historical inaccuracy, specific tropes, widely rehashed plot lines, and some semblance of historical appreciation, maybe appropriation, mixed into it. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Like with Regencies, writing mm-hmm. in this fan fiction-esque space for romance novels has opened up a bunch of options. And I mean, it makes it enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> and it can open up all these different worlds, both mm-hmm. literally and figuratively. But for the general reader, there's a huge caution flag here. 
with historicals, we really need to be able to separate out that these plot lines don't necessarily closely follow historical events, even though they're often couched as following these historical mm-hmm. events, especially in proven cases proven cases where this representation has proved harmful for our general understanding of historical cultures. Maybe as readers, we need to read more smartly, I think is the word. Mm -hmm. We can't just go in and accept the fact that there's a duke on every corner, because really there are only like 20 dukes, or that every Viking was a Fabio-esque barbarian, and that Viking was an ethnic identity. I don't, those are not things we can accept. And dukes look like William. They were very inbred by that point. Yeah. As we go forward and as historical romance novels outside of Regency and Scottish hopefully start to get popular again, I would really love them to. I think they have the possibility that they could. But I think the authors and readers both need to be aware of the vast strides in archaeological and historical research that has been done in these realms. I think that romance novels need to reflect this research and this science more and do a better job of it. I'm not going to start labeling every Viking book as fantasy if it doesn't reflect accurate history no but i think that like with every other genre that's out there right now if vikings do make a comeback we really need to hold the author's feet to the fire and make sure that there is more historical accuracy and more not correct representation but representation so i'm gonna go out on okay a different side and say authors are not going to do that you know and i think instead what will happen with vikings what has happened with a lot of other genres i think there's going to be more mashups of things Mm, yeah so rather than make sure that everything's like really perfect and you get right the details right instead you're going to write about like lion shifter vikings who are on ships that travel between time isn't that already a series probably honestly (laughs) i say that and i'm sure it's on kindle yeah so i kind of see that happening of more blending What's interesting is you do kind of see those Viking-esque figures yeah. in sci-fi. Right. Like sci-fi indie space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they'll be space pirates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like a good space pirate. That's my theory. Ruby Dixon, can you write a Viking one next? I guess She might argue. She already kind of has. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's definitely written pirates, which yeah. we will talk about next time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's kind of where we're at today. Vikings were a fun and popular plot line until they got held up to the modern lens. Now instead, they've been adapted into realms of pseudo-historical fiction, fantasy, and paranormal, where authors, they're welcome to create these amazing worlds that are inspired by Vikings and Viking culture, but don't necessarily need to be held up to that historical lens. We can take all the things we love about Vikings, the drama, the weapons, the adventure, the warfare, the mythology, and apply it in new and readable ways. Cool. Yeah. It's beautiful. Sweet. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm really glad we talked about Vikings because... I've kind of considered it a lost genre, yeah. so to say, and uh, I'm really excited about what other lost genres we might be exploring <gasps> on the podcast. There's so many. Oh my God, you said exploring too. That's a great, great thing to say. Um, yeah, because next next episode, we're going to do pirates. <gasps> Ahoy! <laughs> be prepared for all of Jen's like pirate I'm inserts. not going to have that many pirate jokes. <laughs> I expect you to say ahoy or arg every time you agree or disagree. Ahoy! (laughs) Well, thank you for bearing with me through the many rambles that this episode took. Maybe you learned something new. If you would like to chat Vikings, early medieval sociopolitical structures, or how the departure of the Romans from the British Isles caused a cultural renaissance, email us at ragingromantics at noble.org. If you just want to talk romance books, that's also fine. Email us at ragingromantics at noble.org. Next time, like we said, we're going to jump a few centuries into the future and talk about the other semen. 
Pirates! Huzzah! I'm excited about pirates. I like pirates a lot. I'm going to have the Pirates of the Caribbean song stuck in my head all day. I want to talk about the Muppets. Okay. It's like, that's the best Muppet movie ever. It is. It's so good. So good. And Jack, will Jack Sparrow run all around the library? All right. Well, on that note, Jen, what do we always say? Shiver my timbers. Ah, region! Bye, guys. All were from the Northlands in the eyes of her people. To their fright, fo- fright frozen minds. Do you want to redo that? Yeah. <laughs> fight frozen. Immediately. Okay. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs>